Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello friends, the Game Day Preview podcast is stacked with big names and big games this week. You'll hear from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on Rashford's injury and Troy Deeney on Nigel Pearson. United, the only team to halt the leaders, go to Liverpool hoping for the same ending in the sequel. Manchester City's leading man got the headlines last weekend, but the best supporting role has gone to Sterling over the last few years and he had his feet up last week. Good luck, Palace. Also, tepid Tottenham take on Watford as game day gets underway. I'll tell you why Watford will score in that match. And it's got nothing to do with Jose going full platoon as another chance is missed by his Harryless forward line. Plus, Dream Team tips, Chelsea go to a bogey ground and each one of the rest of the Premier League games given full attention. This is game day, the Premier League preview pod from TalkSport. This is game day, Premier League preview show. And we've gone a little bit Manchester United heavy on the pod today with title winner Paul Parker and the writer of a few titles, Alex Crook. Hello. <laughs> Try to leave your bias at the door if you can. Did you enjoy that riveting cup tie midweek, by the way? I thought it was telling that when I asked uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer afterwards about the performance, he said, well, you don't get an easier draw if you win 5-0. No, very true. It was attritional, wasn't it? And I have to say, I think it's a good advert for scrapping replays. Not... <laughs> Uh, not in games where you've got a Newcastle-Rochdale scenario, but I think if you've got two teams from the same division who mutually agree before the initial tie, if this is a draw, we're going to go to extra time and penalties, get it done tonight. I think that can only be positive for the competition. I like that idea. I mean, I wasn't for all this getting rid of replays because I do feel for the lesser sides who do get the opportunity to replay to get the second game, especially to get a second game against a Premier League side. Say they draw Manchester United, is going to be a minimum of 65,000. Great. But don't take away their, their little bit of bonus that they can earn during the season. So that's a great idea after that last night. But the problem is, is you're not going to ever do that because it's not equitable, is it? So there, there may be replays in certain games and not in others. And you can't have a competition where someone could end up playing double the amount of games en route to the final than somebody else just because they play Premier League opposition. Surely what you do is, is you just say, if you're the smaller team, so if you're lower in the table than the team that you're playing, you get the gate receipts, no matter what the situation is. It's a one-off game, no extra time, go straight to penalties. Then if you are a Rochdale, instead of actually getting a replay, what you might do is get a better chance of going through to the next round because it goes just straight to, to spot kicks. That could be a, a solution, right? Yeah, equally. I still think my idea is better. <laughs> Of course you do. Of course you do. There is a shock, everybody. Anyone who knows that Alex Crook is not surprised by that. 
Um, right, uh, talking of people who, who think they're always right, we've got a Troy Deeney interview to come ahead of our big game uh, day match this week. We'll do that in a bit. But first of all, a bit of red on red action. Thrown into Firmino, headed by Alderweireld, breaks to Jordan Henderson, then Salah, then Firmino, lovely touch, lovely shot, lovely goal. Roberto Firmino, the coolest man at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with the ball at feet, chops out left, fires right, and Liverpool lead by a goal to nil. Quick corner, third goal, Anthony Martial, bullet header into the corner, Old Trafford goes absolutely ballistic. And surely a precious three points are now secure for Manchester United. Two goals in three minutes, the first of the day for Martial. It's Man United three, Norwich City nil. And we will get to how that big game is going to unfold in just a second. But all eyes are going to be on Marcus Rashford and the team news and whether or not he is fit to play. This is what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer told me in the tunnel last night. You did rest some players tonight, including Marcus Rashford. You brought him on. He lasted 14 and a half minutes yeah. and had to come off with an injury. Yeah. What is the latest with him? Well, he's uh, getting treatment now and hopefully uh, we can get him back for Sunday. But I'm not sure. He's, um, he's struggled with his back lately and uh, he got another one. So uh, that backfired a little bit. OK, yeah, we got the goal. He was involved in the goal, but then it might have cost him someday. So, Paul, he said um, it backfired. It was the wrong thing to do. He praised the fact that we'd noticed that uh, Rashford had had a back injury. We saw him come off against Norwich holding his back. And then he did the same after 15 minutes last night. Um, why did they use him? Maybe because Ollie wanted to get through the next stage. He saw the game, game coming up and he just wanted to get through to that next stage and maybe push it too far. If he'd, if he'd, if he'd done it and it come off for him, they win 1-0, everyone would have said yes. But I think it, when the injury happened, they were 1-0 up. Why did, he, why did he allow him to come off and go back again with a back injury? No one really mm. knows the full extent of a back injury until you can get specialist people, the right people to look at him after you've been. But to put him back on again when you're 1-0 up doesn't make any sense at all. And that's the bit I believe that people will question him on. OK, if he is absent, Alex, it makes a massive difference to how this game could unfold. Just a bit. I mean, first and foremost, we shouldn't be surprised that Marcus Rashford's back has given way because, let's face it, he's been carrying the hopes of the club for the last two years. Hey. Uh, so no real surprise there. But it's a massive problem because I've spoken about this in the past. Anthony Martial just doesn't do it for me. You know, that they've given him this massive lucrative contract is he a top-class centre-forward? Not for me. Does he Does he care enough? Does, does he work hard enough? Does he try and make things happen? Again, not for me. Marcus Rashford is the only top-quality striker that United have got at the moment. Mason Greenwood might get there. If he doesn't play, Paul, I don't think they've got a chance. No, they have. they've got a massive problem. When talking about Martial, I look at Martial and I look at him and I think to myself, he should be... Agreed. In a Las Vegas casino, they are playing blackjack or something because you look at his face, he hasn't got a tell, has he? No. You don't know what's coming no. next. The thing about it, they're trying through the middle, they're hoping that it works out. It's worked out now and again, and that's the problem. But the problem is as well is that Rashford likes to play that side himself. The problem is that he does both jobs better. Yeah. He's more effective as from the left coming into the middle than what Martial is. And yet, when he goes in the middle, OK, he, d he does a better job then than Martial. So, in theory, 
what what we're getting from Martial. Well, what we're getting from Martial is inconsistency because he goes through these rashes of scoring goals, then not scoring for ages, then scoring goals again, then he's injured, uh, and he disrupts the the whole rhythm of the team because you can't rely on him. You can't build your team around him. You can Rashford, and the fact that he's out is going to be a big issue. We have said this for months, though. This is the sort of game that Manchester United relish playing, isn't it? You know, even against Spurs, Liverpool gave up chance after chance. I mean, is their run of seven straight Premier League clean sheets going to hold this weekend? Do you think, Alex? I, I think again it would depend entirely on the fitness of Marcus Rashford if Rashford is fit and if he's fully fit there's no point in putting him in if he's half fit I, I think he's going to take a big ask when we saw him hobble down the tunnel the other night holding his back to, to get back to full fitness for Sunday I just don't think it's going to happen if it doesn't I, I can't see how United are going to use their strength which is clearly to try and hit Liverpool on the counter-attack and also of course yeah they've done it well against Manchester City but that Manchester City defence didn't have Virgil van Dijk at the heart of it they did give away some chances against Spurs but I worry do United have the firepower to get beyond van Dijk and Alexander-Arnold and Robertson without Marcus Rashford and again I have to say I think the answer is probably no and also I think Liverpool are slightly more streetwise than Manchester City they're going to know what United are going to do and Jurgen Klopp will come up with a game plan to combat that and as we've seen time and again this season if teams don't play to United's strength then more often than not they struggle and that was the case against Wolves for long periods as well um, there's some quirky stats surrounding this game. United have lost only one of the last eight against Liverpool. They seem to raise their game whenever they play the Reds. Um, Mohamed Salah has, has never scored for Liverpool against Manchester United. Firmino has never scored against Manchester United in the Premier League. And, and Mane's got one, I think. What, why, why do you think that is? I'm shaking my head that you've gone and said, all of that's three of them. That means it's going to be three nil already. <laughs> I cannot believe you've gone and done that, Sam. That's absolutely... That is a curse. The commentator's curse is going to be at the end of the show, yeah? yeah? Absolutely incredible. Yeah, we'll do that later. How you've put that one out there, and that says it all, really. It seems like that's going to happen. I have to say, is when you talk about those three players, they are the most important part of that team, especially Firmino in that front three as well. And for them not to have delivered tells you how well United have done in the previous game. I really don't see this happening again. I said that before the Manchester City game and we saw what happened there. But that can't happen again because as Alex has just mentioned, they're they're better defensively, more streetwise. And you have to remember, Sam, me and you sat and watched Manchester United up against one of the poorest defences in the Premier League in Arsenal. And Arsenal sussed it, didn't they? Yeah, they were dreadful that yeah, night, United. Did. OK, um, major asset for Manchester United is Brandon Williams. Um, I think he's he's coming to the team. He's probably going to be the first choice left back going forward. I thought it was excellent against Norwich, but also excellent in the midweek game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, interesting battle between him and Trent Alexander-Arnold this uh, weekend. Uh, but Gary Neville's tweet actually caught my arm more than anything else. He said, I like Brandon Williams. What I like about him specifically is that he has the look in his eye of someone that would eat his opponent's nose to win the match. Keep going, kid. Oh, he can play football as well, which is also a bonus. Uh, what do you like about him, apart from the fact that he looks as if he's going to eat someone's nose, Paul? Well, I don't want to get involved in talking about eating snot, to be perfectly honest. It doesn't really, it doesn't really figure with me doing something like that. I've said about it. But it does help that uh, Liverpool. Uh, it does help that Manchester United could be Liverpool's bogey team. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, right. Let me start again. I've been talking about this. I've been talking about him for a long time, and I initially started talking about him. I think when I was sat with this young man next to me when we were doing the European games and I kept saying all the time, he comes in, he does well, 
Sir Alex Ferguson, when he has young players and they do well, he doesn't want to leave them out because he's worried about their confidence after a little while. This lad should have been playing a long while ago. And as far as I'm concerned, there isn't a, any competition between him and Luke Shaw. There's one winner and one winner only, and that is him. He has to play every single game now when possible. OK, Liverpool are going for the full set. If they win this game on Sunday, it will mean they've beaten every single Premier League team this campaign. Watford against Tottenham is first up on game day at 12.30 on TalkSport and around the world on Premier League Live. Tottenham were pretty average again in midweek, but Watford will bring the fire, especially at home. Nigel Pearson has lost just one game out of the seven matches he's been in charge for, amassing four victories, two draws. Uh, they are the Premier League's form team. Better than City, yes, Liverpool played less games during that period, but they are on top of the form table. Uh, it has coincided with the return of Troy Deeney as well, who, after their most recent victory, spoke to Alex Crook. It takes a collective. It's all right saying it, but you need uh, rules, you need uh, standards, and you need managers to, to keep that attention high as well. It's no point having clear-out meetings and you know people aren't doing it to the level, they're still playing the following week, myself included. It, I've, I've been in I've been, Cornwall have been shit at times, but played in the following week, so... I know if my standards drop, I won't be in. <coughs> if he had a foreign last name, we'd all be saying he's the, he's the Messiah. So. Ah, yes, the Messiah, Nigel Pearson. <laughs> um, um, basically, I mean, what he's saying there, he's having, he's having a pop with the previous regime, isn't he? I mean, you spoke to him. What was the sort of feeling? Do you know what? It was one of my favourite interviews for a long time. It was in the mix zone. He'd just done Sky TV. He agreed to come and speak to, to the written, and in my case, the broadcast media. And we had nine and a half minutes and it was absolutely captivating, absolutely engaging because there was a player not afraid to speak his mind. You, you heard him use the S word there. He also said, if I praise Nigel Pearson anymore, I'd be licking his backside. And then, of course, he, he came out with a Messiah quote. It was great copy. But it was brilliant to hear a player not media trained, just, just speaking from the heart and speaking like a fan. And we don't get enough of that in the modern game. He didn't offend anybody. It was just brilliant. And you can see, actually, why he's such a leader and such a talisman in the dressing room. I've got to say, I've seen a lot of Watford since Nigel Pearson came in. The transformation has been absolutely remarkable. It just shows the quality of having a proper manager in charge. He's only lost two, Nigel Pearson, of his last 15 Premier League games. That goes back to his final weeks at Leicester when he produced their miracle relegation escape as well. He's not only going to keep Watford up, they're probably going to finish mid-table. And they were doomed four weeks ago. They're not that bad a team initially. They've just been badly managed, haven't they, really? Absolutely. Certain players have come along and treated it as a circus and they've they've rolled yeah. their luck and he's coming and I could imagine he's rolled his sleeves up and he's mostly gone to, to his bosses and said, look, this is what I want to do. Be expecting to hear from some of these players' agents whinging about the way I've been treating their players. If you want me to do that job, that's, what, that's the way I work. If not, I can't do it. And, I, and somewhere along the line, it's gone that way. And when you've got someone like Troy Deeney, who in theory, if you took away the football kit and put overalls on him, he would be a builder, wouldn't he? To be perfectly honest. If you put a pair of like Timberlands on him, he would be a builder. And he's, and he's, he's just a normal bloke yeah. who happens to be very good at playing football. And like you said about not being media trained, he might be, but he might say, well, that means I don't have, I don't say anything. I just give people the same sound bites. Exactly. He also has been a little bit fortunate, Nigel Pearce, in the fact that Deeney has come back from injury. Ismail Assal has beaten 
out with injury and he's come back. And a couple of other players have got their confidence back as well. That's also helped. But ultimately, it's about clarity of message, isn't it? If you're Nigel Pearson, you, he's, 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 even in the game against Liverpool, which they lost, they didn't play that badly because he had them on the front foot right from the very off and, and competing. And if you compete, doesn't matter even if you are playing a team that is technically better than you, you give yourself a chance, don't you? You certainly do. And, and that's what's lacking when you see a lot of teams in this Premier League season. A lot of them don't really compete. It's like virtually they've been told, don't worry about this one, just get through it. The next game matters more, and which is totally wrong. OK, uh, Tottenham, who are their opponents, signed Jetson Fernandes on loan from Benfica initially with the option to buy at the end of the 18-month period for 40 million quid. He's 21 years of age. He was signed by Benfica from his local team at 10 years of age for 240 euros and 25 new footballs. Um, same sort of academy as Jao Felix, talented crop. Is he what they need, Alex Crook? Well, certainly midfield is, is a problem for them, especially with the Christian Eriksen situation. But what would worry me as a Spurs fan is the sort of message that Mourinho is is putting out over this signing. I'm not convinced this is necessarily a, a, a Jose signing that he was top of the shopping list. And I just don't think that's a great start at a new club, especially with a manager like Jose Mourinho who isn't afraid to ostracise players. He's done that already uh, with one or two at Spurs. <laughs> In, in recent Tanky weeks. In Dombele. Well, exactly. <laughs> He's under about four buses. <laughs> so, is he going to solve all their problems? I, I'm not sure he is because, let's face it, their big issue is, is defensively and even more now, they haven't got Harry Kane at the other end. I think this is going to be a very testing period for Spurs and I'm not sure this signing is, is necessarily the answer. And Paul Parker, that is key, isn't it? It's Harry this, Harry that, but defence is the biggest problem. This is a team that have kept one clean sheet in 13 matches under Mourinho. I'm using a word before as I, before I start is deja vu. It's all happening again. I'm seeing a Manchester United situation. He's going to be picking on people. The signings are always going to be a little bit questionable. And we have to say, what difference? Is it going to be any better for him than what it was under when Pochettino was there? Is it any better? No, because Daniel Levy is still running that club and running everything around it. So I am... Really, in theory, looking at their situation. I'm looking up defensively. I think he's upset a few already when you might think about the likes of Danny Rose, who hasn't been playing a lot recently. He's yeah. only only coming, only just coming, what, the game before last? There's a lot of problems going but on he now. he's explained that, hasn't he? He's explained the Danny Rose situation. He said, basically, you know, the, the way I want to play is with a lopsided back uh, four, which is basically a, a back four, which is a back three when we're de defending so or, or on the attack. So um, we have Ben Davis, who is the left back. But when we're on the attack, we attack down the right-hand side. Aurier switches across and becomes a wing back. And Davis comes part of the back three. Tried to do it that with Vertonghen against uh, Brighton on Boxing Day. Didn't work. Tried to bring Danny Rose into that mix, but Danny Rose is just a pure left back, so he can't do that job. And Ryan Sessegnon is still learning the position. So he, 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 he's sort of saying, the reason I haven't played those players is because actually they don't fit into the system that I want to play. And he has to play that system because Serge Aurier cannot be trusted to play as a right back. Yeah. And he hasn't got anybody else. Then go and buy a defender and not a midfielder. Ben Davis is a left back. As simple as that. Or you're talking about him playing and maybe one of the three and be virtually becoming a yeah, yeah, left-sided yeah. centre-half. Listen, as far which as is, I'm concerned... Which is what he does for, for Wales. Yeah, but Mourinho doesn't really look at attacking football he doesn't work that way he would go he would stick with his four at the back just to make and virtually tell certain players they only can go over a certain to a certain area they've got to stop still and be like a 10 year old who played right back he just stands on the edge of the penalty box there were certain players that you knew weren't allowed to go 
uh, 10 yards over the halfway line, which is why even when they were 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go, you were like, well, you're not exactly throwing everything at it here, are you? Um, anyway, uh, let's move on because we've got our first in a new feature where we each take a game and attempt to preview it in 60 seconds. Uh, Paul and Alex, we've got three matches to preview. City versus Palace, Saints versus Wolves, Arsenal versus Sheffield United. We'll draw uh, the game out of a hat like an FA Cup draw. So, Paul, if you could uh, just hold the velvet bag for me there and uh, just have a shuffle of the balls. Thank you very much. Just twirl those around. Lovely. <laughs> Crook, if you could just stick your hand in there and pull one out. I'll go first, so you just give me a game. Right, let's build up some suspense here. Here we go. Okay, Sam, you've got Manchester City against Crystal Palace, and your time starts now. Okay, um, I did the first game between these two and Pep and I had a row afterwards. Uh, from what I remember of that uh, game, City won quite easily, didn't they? It's not the first time, actually, that we've fallen out of Crystal Palace because we once fell out because I asked him about how well Yaya Toure had done to get back into the team and Pep had a go at me saying, well, he was always part of the team and I don't want to talk about individuals. That despite the fact that Yaya Toure had made his first appearance of the season that year and scored both City goals in a victory. Anyway, this match. Um, the story's pre-match probably going to centre around Crystal Palace, uh, Andros Townsend and scoring that wonderful goal. But actually, I think if you look at the stats... Uh, in the Premier League, at least, I think Manchester City over five previous games, apart from that 3-2 loss last year, have won all of them by a scoreline of about 18-0. Um, Roy Hodgson's done quite well. They aren't a particularly good team. They aren't a particularly bad team. They're just a team, aren't they? They're well organised. They've had a bit of sporadic devilment in Zaha and Ayew, but they've won what? Yeah, that was you, your cue to stop talking. Will that do? <laughs> well, you went over. Oh, right. okay, you, went over. over. you went over. Okay, don't get cheeky. Uh, right, let's. Uh, Paul, can you give the the, uh, the the little velvet bag a shake again? Thank you very much. And I'll pull the ball out this time. Alex, you can have a go next. Right, what have we got here for Alex Crook? Ooh. Southampton Wolves, your time starts now. Well, as you know, the South Coast is not my specialist subject, but I'm quite happy with this one. Um, Southampton, bang in form. Been absolutely sensational since that 9-0 defeat against Leicester. Everybody wanted Ralph Hasenhutl sacked then. The fans, the, the media, even some of the players, I think, thought he was doomed. But the board stuck with him, and my word, has it paid off. And what about the form of, of Danny Ings? Has to be in the next England squad. For me, with Callum Wilson floundering at Bournemouth, he's almost a shoe-in to go to the European Championships, and he's got a tremendous goal-scoring record at the moment. Looks like he's going to score every time he goes on the pitch. That will be a big worry for Wolves, especially as we sat through that game last night. And for me, for the final half an hour, Wolves looked absolutely dead on their feet. It was their 38th game of the season. They've only used 19 players, I think, across their Premier League campaign, which is almost the lowest in the division. I think this is a great time for Southampton to play them. No wins in five for Wolves. I think the Ralph Hasenhutl revival is going to continue at St Mary's. There was a lot of waffle and filling there, didn't you think, Paul? What? I'm not going to say anything because I've got to go next. <laughs> OK, Alex, uh, just to delve into that velvet bag, there's only one game left to preview, but just confirm it for us. OK. It's very hard to build up the suspense when there is actually only one tie left in there. <laughs> but I will do it a bit more just to add to Paul Parker's anxiety. And I can tell you that the game that you're going to preview is Arsenal against Sheffield United. Go. 
I have to turn around and say this game is about two teams. One can defend as good as anybody. The other one can't defend. When you look at Sheffield United initially away from home, their form has been not bad at all, to be perfect. And it's as good as anybody when you look at their form, the way they play. Defensively, the three at the back are so tight together, don't allow much space for teams to get in behind them. When you look at their midfielder, Lundstrom, Fleck and Oliver Norwood, they're industrious, but they've got good creativity. The only thing they're lacking, really, is an out-and-out goal scorer. But the two up front who generally play, Moussa or even McGoldrick, they are grafters. They never stop working. They're dogged. They really close teams down from the front. When we talk about Arsenal, they've been revitalised by the signing, or sorry, should say, the new manager, Arteta. He made a big difference in their first home win of the season against Manchester United. You saw even Ozil, Aubameyang, Lacazette tracking back, making tackles. And that's it. I mean, Paul, that was very impressive. I enjoyed that. And just looking at your face as well, he's just staring into space, not referring to any notes at all, right off the top of your head. Very impressive. Apart from the fact that you did say Sheffield United's away form is not bad, but it's as good as anybody's. Which one is it? (laughs) Oh, now it's picking me out now, is it? Digging me. I'll tell you what, you give me one hand (laughs) and you took away with the other. You've nailed me, by the way. You've nailed (laughs) me. Do you know why he's done that? He's picked on us both because he was the only one and this is his feature and he's the only one who couldn't keep it within 60 seconds. We, We were time perfect, weren't we? It is true. Right, let's get to the two. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Five thirty on Talk Sport with Nigel Adderley behind the mic. Newcastle take on Chelsea. Um, Chelsea won here last season, very early in the campaign. Uh, but Newcastle have actually got a really good record against them at St James Park. Before last season, Chelsea hadn't won there since December two thousand and eleven, winning four of the previous five. Newcastle United. Um, can they cause an upset here against Chelsea, do you think, Paul? Well, we can't bet against it because we just don't know what, what Chelsea's going to turn up. When they're good, 
their goods. When they're poor, they're poor everywhere, especially more than anything. Their biggest problems has been defensively, where, where a lot of the time with Zuma playing, it does cause them problems. But you look at midfield, they're young and they've got a bit of creativity, but their biggest problem is is that is scoring goals they don't finish teams off when they have they have they get them under pressure they nail them down they they get in and around but they do not finish teams off early enough in games yeah um Chelsea have tended to quite succeed though on their travels haven't they their two defeats in eight have, have come at home do you think they're better suited to playing away from home but will that necessarily be the case against a Newcastle team that actually don't care at all about possession and are quite happy to play like an away team and just soak up loads of pressure, have like 15% possession of the ball, and then try and counter-attack. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Newcastle's results, by and large, have probably been better than most people expected over the course of the season, especially after the start they had. But I, I am hearing dissenting voices on the northeast about the style of play that they've adapted under Steve Bruce. Come on, when do you ever hear anything other than dissenting voices in the northeast? It doesn't matter who's in charge, where they finish, how many pounds they spend on a new signing. There's always dissenting voices, isn't there? Yeah, there are. And, you know, Steve Bruce wasn't the most popular appointment. I think he's done very well. But I think you're right. They're not going a team who are going to go at Chelsea um, and, and allow them to try and hit on the counter. I think this could be quite an attritional game, actually. But Chelsea were pretty clinical in their last game against Burnley. If they can get supply into Tammy Abraham, I think they will have some joy against that Newcastle defence. And you just can't see where the goals are coming from as far as Newcastle are concerned. Joe Ellington is, is getting a lot of stick, and deservedly so. They spent a huge amount of money on him. Doesn't look like a player who's going to score goals in the Premier League. Not been a bad few weeks for Almiron in, in that respect, but... I just don't think Newcastle have got enough. If, if Chelsea can, can carve out chances, they should win the game. And it could be a pivotal weekend for them if they win the game. United lose at, at Liverpool as we expect them to. That race for fourth place could well be over. 16 goals in 31 appearances this season for club and country. Is Tammy Abraham the next cab off the rank for England with Kane injured, do you think, Paul Parker? I think there's... um too many out there at the moment. There's no one 100%, but the one thing is there's going to be an opportunity because they will get if you can say it for England, they'll get a run a game, they'll get an opportunity already. We've seen Mr South Coast next to me throwing in Danny Ings. But I have to concur in a certain way. You can throw people in when they score goals because they tried that with Charlie Austin scoring goals. But when you look at Austin and you compare Danny Ings, you're looking at one who has got enough about him, can adapt his game to play international football rather than Charlie Austin, who one pace which isn't even a good pace, to be perfectly honest, and is a goal scorer and nothing else. Danny Ings can bring people in, but he yeah, can but score score all kinds of goals. I like him. Um, but Tammy Abraham is someone who's been brought up in the England system. He's played for England already, scored for England already. He's a younger member of that squad. Does that not go in his favour? Yeah, he'll be the favourite, won't he? Because Gareth Southgate has, has known him pretty much his entire career. I, I guess the only... Uh, caveat to that would be that it was actually Gareth Southgate who gave Danny Ings his England under-21 debut. So again, he's a player who's on the radar. But I think if there's a pecking order, it, it would have gone Harry Kane, Tammy Abraham, Callum Wilson. I think it probably now goes Harry Kane if he's fit, Tammy Abraham, Danny Ings. I would just like the next person who comes in to do well so we can actually start talking about Harry Kane or Harry Kane and Abraham. Talk about both of them rather than like living that world like Spurs do and just talking Harry Kane's not here. There's a problem. With England, we don't really want but to be that way. But let's just give up on Harry Kane because 
you know, if you look at the injury that he has had, he has a detached muscle in in his hamstring. In order for him to get fit and ready for the European Champions, he's, Championships, he's, he's basically got to have some sort of miracle cure. It, it's not going to happen, is it? I mean, ultimately, if you speak to any physio, they say, looking at the injury that he has had, you're expected to be ready for pre-season not for a European Championship. And look at what happened last year when he rushed himself back for the Champions League final. I mean, he might as well have not been there. Well, it's the same. Every time he comes back, they seem to rush him back or he rushes back, I think, because he wants to score goals and he's a passenger. So I think, I'd like to think that Gareth Southgate is clever enough to know that already. He's looking to the fact of, doesn't matter if he says he's fit, and I hope we don't take another player into a tournament who is carrying an injury. OK, relegation worries have been haunting Norwich since they were promoted to the Premier League, but for the Cherries, it's starting to get real. Now here's Callum Wilson into the penalty area, slides it down the line, little pull back and there's the opening goal, and it's gone to Bournemouth, and it's a rare goal for Dan Gosling. He scored at Stamford Bridge a couple of weeks ago, he's done it again here, Bournemouth 1, Arsenal 0. Back, central to Vrancic, just wants to try and create a... Uh, space for a shot. Norwich still have it. Play a lovely little one-two in the penalty area. Peels for handball. Cantwell's there. Cantwell scores. Now here's a lovely pass from East Pookie, who's clears through to inside the box, and Timmy Pookie has steered in. The Pookie party is back up and running at the King Power. Bournemouth spent 85% of their TV money last season on wages. They have an injury list as long as the arm. They have the youngest average 11 and they have lost nine of the last 11 matches. What's the remedy here or are both these two down, Alex Crook? <laughs> Apart from that, it's all going brilliantly for Eddie Howe, isn't it? I think this is the derby the doomed, to be honest. Uh, Norwich aren't going to get out of it. They haven't got enough quality. They didn't spend enough money. Uh, Bournemouth, as you've already articulated there, have spent money since they came into the Premier League. They spent it in the wrong places for me. Uh, Jordan Ibe, who I'm told that, that, that you know they're desperate to, to get off the wage bill this month. They'd probably take those 25 footballs that you were talking about as a transfer fee earlier. Nobody wants him uh, because he's rubbish. Dominic Solanke isn't going to score goals in the Premier League. And defensively now, they're... they're too reliant on Nathan Ake, who we talked about players being rushed back from injury. He came back early against Watford, didn't look fit, and actually that's probably scuppered his move to Chelsea now because they were watching that game, and I think Frank Lampard is having second thoughts. Are you maybe being a little bit unfair and picking on the on the ones that haven't worked out for, for, for Bournemouth rather than the, the bargains that have? Because there's been some successful transfers down there as well, hasn't there? hasn't there? Yeah, but by and large, they were the players who they signed to get them up from the Championship. Callum Wilson uh, came for a small fee from Coventry. He's been superb. Although again, Brian Fraser wasn't. Uh, Ryan Fraser was signed when they were in the Championship as well. He's another. They actually sent him out on loan to Ipswich Town. He beat him playing the Championship, did he? Well, no, but he's not a player they've signed since they came into the Premier League. If you draw, draw up a list of players that Eddie Howe has signed as a Premier League manager, there are far more misses than hits. I think that's a big problem. And listen, this is not me chucking Eddie Howe under the bus. But I don't think just because he's worked miracles... does sound like it. I don't think just because he's worked miracles, Paul, for the last decade, he should be immune to criticism. He's bought the wrong players. He's setting the team up wrong at the moment. They're trying to play their way out from the back against Watford with a rookie goalkeeper and a 96-year-old centre-back in Simon Francis. They were asking for trouble, shot themselves in the foot. I actually 
messaged you 20 minutes into that game and said Bournemouth are going to get punished for a mistake. They did. The confidence has been yeah. sapped out the team. The life has been sapped out the fans. I can't see any way they're going to stay up at the moment. But this is not me advocating Eddie Howe to be fired because if they do go down, he's the best man to bring them back up, in my opinion, and have a bit of a cleanse of the squad. It should be an entertaining scrap, though, shouldn't it? I mean, they're both so open, apart from the fact that Bournemouth couldn't finish an ice cream right now. Um, but, but there's usually goals between these two meet. I think there's been more than three goals in five of the last seven meetings between the two. OK, let's get to the butler. Great to see you. Um, have you taken anybody home this week? <laughs> no, it's January. No, oh, right. OK, so no one's, no one's... You're not right for the picking at the moment. There's no opportunity for you to... Uh, go out and be the good Samaritan that we know you are no not 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 so far that's uh that's that's you know January is is a very very quiet month quiet month for the uh the chorister who likes to save lives um could you save our dream teams then please instead um West Ham have won just one of their last seven home games um but Darren Randolph is back and straight into the team. Fabianski is out for about four or five weeks, as I understand it. Uh, will he solve your dream team goalkeeping crisis, Darren Randolph, do you think? Uh, well, potentially, but it really depends if uh, if West Ham um, stop conceding goals. They've conceded 33 this uh, this season, which isn't which isn't the worst in the league, of course. But um, they're they're edging closer and closer to the drop zone, which I'm I'm slightly concerned about from a West Ham point of view. I'm slightly um, disappointed that uh, our, our good friend Tom Rennie's not in the studio today to give him uh, some jip about the fact that they've got protests coming up and uh, the fans aren't happy and they're also only a point off the relegation zone. But you know. Um, Randolph could potentially go in, uh, go in, go straight in your team, but um, I think look elsewhere is my tip. I think they're in a bit of trouble still, West Ham. I, I did the game for Talksport Live against Sheffield United, and they were really poor. And you look at the next half a dozen games; they've got to play Liverpool twice, haven't they? I think they've got um, Everton as well, obviously rejuvenated under Ancelotti, and one more of the big clubs. So. I don't think West Ham are out of the woods yet. Uh, no, uh, Liverpool at home and Liverpool away in the space of about 25 days, which is a very difficult sort of turnaround. They've got Tottenham away from home, Arsenal away from home, Manchester City away from home, Chelsea at home. And that's before we even get to the, the middle of April. I mean, that is a very tricky run of fixtures for David Moyes to come in and take over. Um, I toyed with taking uh, Sebastian Allaire out this week and going for Jenk Toshin, but I thought, well, actually, I'll wait till next week. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Um, Allaire's still uh, the high top scorer for West Ham this season with 79 points. Um, he's in there at a reasonable price, 3.2 million. Um, he's also actually um, the highest rated player on who scored, which is where we get our, um, our stats ratings from as well. So um, he's putting in some some all right performances. Um, Cheng Tosson hasn't really been pulling up too many trees um, so far this season as well. But um, I think yeah, keeping him he's got a moment. move, hasn't he? He's going to be thrown in by Palace. Yeah, there is that. And, you know, you'd expect him to, to be slightly more potent than Christian Benteke has been for, uh, for Palace um, in the last couple of years but uh, I think you know the tip is probably just hold off for a couple of weeks his price won't go up too too drastically um, in the next fortnight or so so hold off until then it's all about looking for bargains Burnley four defeats in a row and seven in the last nine take on the Foxes Leicester City who have had a little bit of a wobble so do we risk sticking Chris Wood in against his old team the immutable law of the X? Um, well, 
Again, Chris Wood is uh, is their highest point scorer as well, but with only 62, Burnley kind of, uh, again, I think they're one of the ones yeah, that definitely. Are, uh, are struggling too. I actually had a, a quick look earlier today about uh, this sort of, the, the relegation scrap. Uh, Burnley should really, I think, be looking over their shoulder. The last time a team in 18th place had more points um, than Aston Villa's 21 this season was in back in 2011 when Wolves had 22. So it does show how tight it could get as we head towards the final third of the season. You wouldn't pick a Burnley defender either, would you? Because they've conceded nine goals in their last four games. Nick Pope was all over the place against Chelsea. So any value in the Leicester team? Well, I think um, Ricardo Pereira probably will be back on it again uh, this weekend. Um, he got minus one last week, which is the first time in, in ages that he's re- recorded um, minus points. And, uh, uh, and Vardy actually coming back in the team I think it was a blip, really, against Southampton. At least I'd like to think so. I, I wouldn't want, wouldn't want to entertain the idea that Leicester, now that they're in such a strong position, would start like their form to start um, falling off a cliff because they look secure for a top four spot this uh, this season. I can't see one of uh, United, Sheffield United, or, or Wolves kind of catching them either for uh, for a top four spot. But I think it'll be a real shame for for them if they were to kind of keep on losing games. They've lost three of the last five, so. It's um, a lack of squad depth, isn't it? You know, they're one of those teams who, who need their first eleven fit every week. Because if you scratch beneath the surface, mm. particularly at the back, if one of their defenders gets injured, suddenly Wes Morgan is called into action. No disrespect to Wes Morgan; he was a Premier League winner, but clearly his best days are behind him. Yeah, he's, he's ninety-five. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thank you very much as always for your contribution. We appreciate it, and we will see you in the next uh, episode of this wonderful podcast. Thanks very much, Sam. Quick word on Brighton against Aston Villa. If Brighton win this, I think we see Burnley, West Ham, Villa and Watford fighting to avoid that one place alongside Bournemouth and Norwich. You said it's the derby of the doom, so we'll go with that. Um, But Villa have brought Pepe Reina in. Will that help, Paul Parker? Just to be honest, no. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't don't see. I mean, Tom, Tom Heaton is a good goalkeeper, a really, really good goalkeeper. But when you're digging down and, and Pepe, Pepe Reina is allowed to come away from the club he did and then, to, and then you're getting him at Villa, you have to turn around and say, no, I don't think he's going to make it. He was great in his prime for Liverpool, but now, no. Yeah, they've been unlucky with injuries, haven't they? McGinn is a big miss, ankle fracture, Heaton, Wesley, but they do have Danny Drinkwater, so everything should be fine. Um, ultimately, they're in a situation, aren't they, where they've been unlucky with a bit of recruitment, they've been unlucky with a, with a few injuries, but they've also played far too open in football matches, which if they do that against Brighton, they're probably going to lose because Brighton are a very well choreographed footballing team, Alex. Yeah, we, we were talking about Eddie Howe and, and, and the job he's done at, at, uh, at Bournemouth. And, and when Chris Hewton w- was sacked at the end of last season by Brighton, I think there was a lot of sympathy, and rightly so, because again, he was a manager who took them up from the lower divisions, stabilised them in the Premier League. It seemed a brutal decision You at got the him time. sacked as well, didn't you? <laughs> I don't have that power, uh, sadly. Otherwise, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer would have gone a long time ago. But, <laughs> but I have to say, with Brighton, and, and the stats as I'm sure you're going to tell me, don't back this up because I think they've actually got fewer points at this stage this season than they had at the same time last year under Chris Hewton. They are a much better side this season and they're a much better side than their points tally indicates. They're much more watchable and I think they play a, a better brand of football that eventually, with patience, is going to pay off. They are going to pick up enough points 
for me, I'm not counting Brighton as a side who might go down. So Norwich are, are a really good team. I mean, because they play nice football. No. Um, They're going to go down, but they play nice football. Norwich are a good team. They've got less points than last year, but they play good football, so it's okay. Uh, it's not just that they play uh, good football. It's also, if you look at the fixtures, they've played far more difficult games. They've played away from home already against ah, most of the top yes. sides from last yeah. season. So they've got a run of games now between now and the end of the season, which should see them stay up. Uh, they've got a goal scorer in Neil Mopay. They've got a uh, playmaker in Leandro Trossard, of whom I think there's more to come. Defensively, they're still relatively resolute. They've had some really good performances, particularly against the better sides. They played Arsenal off the park at Emirates Stadium. They played Spurs off the park at home. I think Graham Potter is a good manager. And as I say, when you're looking at the permutations, who could go down? Brighton, for me, are not on the list. OK, um, and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but Paul Parker, it is true, just because it feels good doesn't make it right. <laughs> yeah, I have to, yeah you, are, you are right about that, but I can see where Alex is going, to be honest. I, I've seen Brighton twice this season, and they're definitely bet, easier on the eye, and there is more about them. Every, there's more behind them. Their fans are behind them. Graham Potter will be given time because the simple reason is everything he's trying is working and people are seeing it as a positive step forward from what it was before. Maybe the fact of Chris going, everyone got up, because everyone likes Chris. Chris is such a lovely man, like him, but maybe he it's wasn't brave enough to play that kind of football. Graham Potter's coming and regardless of it, he's gone in there and he's played it straight away with the same players and now he's reaping the rewards. Their last five home games are quite interesting, though, aren't they? They've got Crystal Palace, which is a massive derby match, Arsenal at home, Manchester United at home, Liverpool at home, Manchester City at home before they finish with Newcastle, which could be quite a, a tense game towards the end of the season. So, yeah, it's all right saying that they, they've got points in the bag and they're going to be OK, and I'm sure they are, because actually I think they are better than Villa, better than Norwich, better than Bournemouth, and, and probably better than Watford as well. Maybe that's a toss-up between the two. But ultimately, it's not guaranteed that they're they're out of the mire. No, it's not guaranteed. Of course it isn't. They're just not, in my head, one of the teams who I think will be scrapping come the end of the season. And you mentioned those oh. fixtures, actually. Oh. Liverpool and Manchester City might not be the worst teams to play at home at the end of the season because the title will already be won. They could both still be focusing oh, on yeah. European glory. They could And they've dropped so many teams. points already, haven't they? <laughs> but they've not fielded weakened teams yet, have they, really? Um... <laughs> He's, he's out for me today, isn't he? I think, but just to go back to the point I was making, I think football now, and Gary Neville has, has already alluded to this, is about more than just winning matches. I think teams now, uh, because of the sheer volume of games on television, the sheer exposure, the money in the game, they want to be entertained. And ultimately, oh, that's what, I, that, that's what got rid of Chris Hughton. Can I just stop it there, by the way? I've been saying that for ages yeah. about Manchester United, about because Sir Alex was about this. He said one of the... In, in there for him as being a Manchester United manager was first and foremost, he had to entertain. Yeah. But I, I think I've, that's filtered down yeah, now. But I've, but I've said that so many times and I got persecuted by people. It's just about winning. Entertaining doesn't matter. And now everyone, now because Gary Neville has said it, everyone's going, oh yeah, he's right. What a load of rubbish that. Now, if you're at a big club, doesn't matter how you play and what it's about. Winning's important. Of course it's important. But there is a, a way that you play. And Manchester United have got a style of play. Tottenham have got a style of play. Liverpool have had their style. Everyone still... And they still play that way. When I played against them in the Masters, the old boys, they played in a certain fashion that befitted that football club. Mm. And now... This, now Gary Neville has come out, come out and said it. Now football should be... Mm. 
all about okay. that. Wasn't Gary Neville who took your place, was it? Any okay. chance at Man United? Oh, oh, the sack ma- oh, the <laughs> sack took ma- the words out of my mouth. <laughs> the sack master has come in and had a go at me. I can't believe it. He's dug me out. I'm now, I need to twist this around. Us. I need I need you two to sit next to each other and me the other side. <laughs> Let's get to the commentator's curse. Listen, we loved you at Chelsea after Gary Neville had taken your place. It was, it was, it was fine. I mean, it might only have been four games, but it was fine. Is it? You should have told the others <laughs> oh, when I right. first, first turned up at the training ground. <laughs> it wasn't a training ground, was it? It was just a park with a lot of wind. Uh, here's the commentator's curse. Players that were going to put the mockers on this week by giving a statistical reason as to why they will do well in this round of matches. Uh, I'm going to start this off because we sort of already alluded uh, to it. Uh, Mo Salah... Mo Salah running down the wing. He didn't feature in the game with Manchester United in October, but in four previous games against Manchester United, he's never scored against them. Mane has only ever scored once. And Firmino, who hasn't scored at Anfield since March, by the way, has never scored against Manchester United in the Premier League. So what price all three to score this weekend? Just nine to one. Wow. That's like basically a first goal scorer. It's not bet, generous. Isn't it? I mean, unbelievable. It's not, the, it's not the biggest odds in the world, is it? What you got for me, Crookie? That, those odds will probably come in if Phil Jones had even near the team as well. <laughs> um, mine's about goal scorers as well, or maybe non-scoring strikers. Callum Wilson, we talked about him a lot on this podcast. I mean, it looked, didn't it, when he signed that massive contract, he became Bournemouth's highest paid player in the summer, that he had the world at his feet. He was going to the European Championships. He was a genuine rival for Harry Kane. Not anymore, he isn't. Not only has he not scored for weeks on end in the Premier League, can you believe this? He hasn't had a shot on target since October the 6th. Wow. Oh, oh, wow. wow. That is amazing. What a stat. Where did you get that from? Uh, you know, hours of research digging that one out. But, I mean, that is incredible, isn't it? And, yeah. and that really yeah, is, is a microcosm of Bournemouth's problems. Incredible. Right, here is uh, Paul Parker with his commentator's curse. Right, um, this one is going away from players. It's going to the people who look after him. It's the managers. So this one is Everton's manager, Carlo Ancelotti, I should say. I got that one out well. Failed to win any of his four Premier League meetings with David Moyes in his previous stint in the competition. (laughs) But can I just add a little bit onto that as well, just the other side? David Moyes is the only manager the Italian has faced more than twice without winning in the English top flight. Uh, But didn't uh, they come together in an FA Cup final of 2000 and? Nine is that right? Did they come together in the FA Cup final of two thousand and nine? Yes, they did, didn't they? When Everton took the lead early on, is that right? And After Chelsea went seconds, on to win the game, yeah, and uh, Chelsea won. I think your stats yeah. Premier League related. Yeah, so yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, thank you very much to Paul Parker and to Alex Crook. We're back on Tuesday when we've got a Premier League preview because there's a midweek round of fixtures. Uh, You can download this podcast and rate and review it on Apple, on Google, on Spotify or on Acast. Or you can just ask your smart speaker to play the Game Day Preview podcast from Talk Sports. Uh, You've got Danny Kelly's record book to come over the weekend and the verdict with Laura and Adrian. Thanks very much for listening. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a Talk Sport exclusive podcast.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 